Have you ever read a really great novel? A book that has just, is exciting, is suspenseful. A book that you just can't put down. You can't wait for those moments in the day when you can just break and you can get back to it and start reading again. Now, I want you to imagine that you're reading one of those books and in the middle of the suspense you're thinking, I've just got to know what's going to happen. And so you go all the way to the last chapter and you read the last chapter. Well, my guess is you probably haven't done that. Because when we're reading a book, we love the suspense. Oh boy, is that me? That is me. Okay, they're going to fix me. Here comes Marv. Was I getting, thank you. Yes, Marv. Okay, what have I done? It takes a village, friends. Yeah. Feed some sense into them. Say, Marv, thank you. And yet we, we start again. Have you ever read a... No. <laughs> now, most of us aren't going to do that, right? We like to read a book that is filled with suspense, that's exciting, that grips us. So we don't tend to go to the last chapter and read it before we've read the rest of the book, because that would ruin the book. But when it comes to life, we don't want that kind of suspense, do we? We don't want that kind of uncertainty. We don't like to live in the midst of ups and downs and not knowing what's coming around the corner. Most of us, if we had the opportunity, we would love to skip ahead to the last chapter so that we don't have to live in that suspense day after day, wondering what's going to happen next. And in the midst of of sickness, in the midst of world wars, in the midst of, of death, in the midst of financial struggles, in the midst of relational struggles. We don't like living with that kind of uncertainty. God knows that. And so he gave us the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is a book of hope. A book of Revelation is where God pulls back the curtain and he says here here's what's going to happen here's the end of the story and friends here's the reality God wins and the victory of Jesus is your victory and because Jesus wins you win and so he gives us the book of Revelation so that in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of struggle, we've got this, this book in the Bible, the very last book in the Bible, that tells us everything ends up okay. In fact, more than okay. Jesus wins, and we win. 
And we need to know that and we need to understand that because it is a book that brings hope. That is the purpose of the book of Revelation. It's to teach us, yes, but it's also to give us hope in the midst of a life filled with so much uncertainty, in life that is often filled with so much pain. We need hope. And hope is critical. It's because of hope that we persevere. It's because of hope that we continue in difficult times and difficult circumstances. It's because of hope that we stand against temptation and we allow our lives to be led by our Lord. It's because of hope that we continue to love even when people are rejecting us. So Satan wants to destroy our hope. Satan is the enemy of our soul, and he wants to destroy hope. Many of you have, have read or have seen the movie The Hunger Games. Does that sound familiar to a lot of you? And if you're not familiar with the story, I'm going to show you a clip in just a moment. But if you're not familiar with the story, let me set it up for you. It's a futuristic, it, it's in the future, and there's this, this world that has a capital city with a president, and the capital city controls all the 12 districts that surround it. Now, when I say control, I mean absolutely control. Their desire is to keep these people down. And so one way to do that is to instill fear and to take away their hope. Because you take away their hope, then they have, they probably will never rise up against you. So how do they do that? Well, every year they do something that's called the Hunger Games. And then in the Hunger Games, what they do is at each of the 12 districts, they choose two at, by lot, two children ages 12 to 18. They draw their names, one boy and one girl, 24 in total, two from each of the 12 districts. And then they create this this little world in which these 24 people fight to the death. We're just probably going to have to live with it this morning. They're going to fight to the death. And it's a reminder to each of the districts that ultimately they have no hope. Ultimately, they have no power. I want you to watch this video, which is a conversation between the president, President Snow, and the person who is, wow, maybe I should just use a mic. Thank you, because it's driving me crazy. I can't imagine what it's doing to you. Talk amongst yourselves. I tell you, I've had people uh, yank me off the stage, but never like that. <laughs> so what's happening here is the president, President Snow, is meeting with the gameskeeper. The gameskeeper is the one who's in charge of the Hunger Games. And so I want you to hear this conversation. Remember, he wants to control the districts. He wants to destroy their hope. Watch this. She earned it. She shot an arrow, shot at, your an arrow at your head. Well, well, at an apple. Near your head. 
down. Seneca, why do you think we have a winner? What do you mean? I mean, why do we have a winner? I mean, if we just wanted to intimidate the districts, why not round up 24 of them at random and execute them all at once? Be a lot faster. Hope. Hope? Hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine, as long as it's contained. So... So... Contain it. Friends, here's what the book of Revelation is all about. We are a people who live with hope. Because even if we are suffering, even if we are struggling, we still have hope because we already know the end of the story. And the end of the story is Jesus wins, and because he wins, we win. Because we belong to him. That is what the book of Revelation and all of the images and symbols that we see that can be so confusing, that is the message that God is giving to us. A critical message when this book is being written. It is just about the time when the emperor Domitian is coming to power in Rome. And when he comes to power, there will be a second great persecution of the Christian church. And unlike the first persecution, this persecution will go all the way to the churches in Asia Minor, and what we know as Turkey today, which is where the people are for whom John is writing this letter. God is wanting to say to them, you are going to suffer for your faith, but in the midst of your suffering, do not give in to fear, do not lose hope, for here is the final picture. Here is the last chapter of humanity as we know it. Here is the last, the last chapter of our world as we know it. We belong to God. God wins, and we will be his children forevermore. So with that picture, friends, what we're going to do this morning is focus on chapters 5 to the end of the book, chapter 22 of Revelation. If you're visiting with us this morning, this is the final day of a series in which we have been looking at the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We began in September, we're ending today. And we're ending where we need to end. Understanding, understanding the end of time as we know it. Understanding that the God that we belong to is already victorious. And the evil that we see in our world will not last forever. 
Sickness and death is not the final word. God has the final word. And so, friends, I want you to see these things this morning. Now, as we look at Revelation, there tend to be two extremes that, that I find in people. And you might find you're one of these two extremes. One extreme is I never read the book of Revelation because it's just too confusing. We should not be like that. As we saw last week, the book of Revelation says, Blessed are those who read these words and live them out. And then the other extreme are those who are so captivated by the images and the symbolism of the book that they're caught up in that and they think that there's some secret understanding that tells us exactly when Jesus is going to return. But in so doing, they miss the point of the book, which is not only to teach us, but to give us hope to enable us to persevere in the midst of a difficult world. So friends, understanding this, I have four things I want you to hear as we close this series this morning. Here's the first one. God is to be worshipped by his people. If you go to Revelation chapter 5, what you see here is great worship of, of our Lord. It's beautiful pictures of the living creatures and the elders. And in the passage we're going to look at briefly, the angels as well. And I want you to, if you have your Bible, look to Revelation chapter 5. And I want you to hear these words beginning in chapter 5, verse 11. This is an image that God has given to the Apostle John. It's an image, it's a vision that he sees. And John is recording what God has allowed him to see. And it's like God has taken the curtain that separates us from heaven and he's opened it. And John is able to see. He's able to see what God is allowing him to see. And God says, write this down, John. Your people need to see this, John. Your people need to understand this, John. Listen to what he says. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. This is an extraordinary vision that he has. He looks and he sees that the, the, our Lord is on the throne and he is surrounded by the elders and the living creatures. And now thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels encircle all of it, the throne and the elders and the, and the living creatures. And they're proclaiming in a loud voice these incredible words, these words of worship, these words of ascribing to Jesus who he is. See, that's worship. Ascribing and acknowledging the nature and the character of Jesus. And they're gathered around the throne, offering these words to him. Glory to you. Listen to it again. 
He says, worthy is the lamb. Who is the lamb? Jesus. He's the lamb of God. Remember in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice a lamb to cover their sins. That was just to prepare them for the perfect lamb of God who was coming. And Jesus came as a baby and he lived the perfect life we could never live. And he was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. He took our sin upon himself. He took the wrath of God that we deserve upon himself. Worthy, worthy is the lamb. Do you sense that? Do you feel that? The power of that. And then they ascribes to him these incredible words to receive power. Power. It's ascribing to Jesus that he is the lamb. He is the God of power. What does that mean? It means that all things are in his hands. The world, your health, your relationships, your future, your past, it's all in his hands. He is the one who has ultimate power over all things. In this life, because of the choice that Adam and Eve made and the choice that all of us have affirmed, he allows us to do things that are evil that not only hurt us but hurt others. That day will end. We know because of the book of Revelation. That time will end. That The God that we worship is a God of power. He ascribes to him he is the lamb, the lamb who is the God of wealth. Now, most of us, when we hear wealth, what are we thinking? Gold, silver, bucks, right? Oh, I like that. That's not what it is. It's better. He is the God of resources. He is the God who brings love. He is the God who brings mercy. He is the God who brings justice. He is the God who reveals his, his character to us. We are made in his image and we get to reflect that. And the more that we love Jesus, the more that we give ourselves to him, the more that we know his word, the more we live his word, the more he lives his purposes in us and through us to touch this world. He has not withheld, as we read in Ephesians 1, he has not withheld anything from us from the heavenly realms. He's given it all to us. His wealth has made us wealthy. We read on. He is the God of wisdom. What does that mean? He knows all things. He knows yesterday. He knows today. He knows tomorrow. He knows forever in a moment. He sees all of eternity in a moment. He knows best how you are to live and how I am to live. He is the God of wisdom. He is the God of strength. He is the God of honor, which means he is worthy of respect. What, how do we show God respect? We show respect by loving him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. See, we show respect to Jesus by trusting him and following him and obeying him. And then finally, uh, glory. And that is due to his suffering and his obedience to the Father. All glory has gone to him. And then finally, praise. He is to be celebrated, admired, extolled. He is to be loved. Friends, this is what worship is all about. You'll notice that there are seven different things that the angels recognize. 
There is a reason there are seven different things. Because seven in the Jewish culture is the number of perfection. Jesus is perfect in every way. Friends, i got to tell you, I live my life in the hope, not of who I am, but of who he is. I live my life in the hope and the assurance that I belong to him. He will never let go of me. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is the one who loves me. He is the one who is in control of all things. I belong to him, and that is my hope. Friends, that is your hope as well. And so what does it mean for us? Well, what it means for us is we get a picture here of worship in heaven. And friends, we need to emulate that now, today. We need to to ascribe to God what is true about him and honor him. It means when we worship together and we worship alone, that our hearts are Our minds are focused upon him. It means when we gather to worship together, we don't just worship when we're together, we worship by ourselves as well. It's not enough that we just do this once a week. We need to be doing this day in and day out together. There are many ways that you can do that. But if as we worship together, it means that as we sing songs together, that we're thinking about the Lord. We're not just saying words. But these words are springing from our hearts and we're ascribing to the Lord as we sing these songs. We are ascribing to the Lord the worship and the praise and the glory and the honor that he is due. Amen? I know it's, there's so many things to distract us and there can't be a person in this room that is more easily distracted than me. Squirrel? Friends, I try to focus myself So that when I am singing, I am singing to the Lord. I am offering this to him. When we pray together, I try not to let my mind wander. I try to let the words of the person who is praying be my words. When I hear the word preached and the word read, I I try to receive what God wants to say to me, not to my wife, not to my friends, not to you, but to me. When I prepare a sermon, I'm not thinking about you alone. I'm thinking about what God is saying to me, too. It's not just you that need to be transformed by the Word of God. I need to be transformed by the Word of God. And so worship is giving to God our very best, our very best. We continue on, and we see... Friends, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back just as he promised. You see, the Old Testament reveals what we now know are two comings of Jesus. There are passages in the the Old Testament that talk about the power and the, the power of the coming of Jesus. And the people tended, and and the victorious Jesus. And people tended to focus on that. But there were also prophecies that talked about the humility of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. Well, the first coming, Jesus came to us as a little baby to Mary and Joseph, a frail, dependent little baby. That little baby would live in perfect obedience to the Father. And 
would allow himself to be crucified on a cross. He came as the humble servant. But he's coming again. And he returns as a victorious warrior. I want you to hear this passage as we read in, in Revelation 19, an ex extraordinary passage. And as I read this passage, I'm going to just share a quick story about it. Then as I read it, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture, because that's how it's to be understood. I want you to picture what I'm reading. Many, many years ago, when I was in my mid-20s, I went to a church in Bellevue, Washington to be an intern for three years. I served in that church, and I was learning and growing. But when I first got there, not long before I arrived, a young boy who was an elementary school student, I think he was about, I can't remember, 10 or 11, he was dying of cancer. The doctors had put him on really heavy medication. He wasn't awake. His time was drawing to an end. In the room that day were sitting with him were his parents, a pastor from the church, some family members. Suddenly his eyes open. And he looks at an uncle, the only one in the room who didn't was not a believer, and he asked him to leave the room. Well, they couldn't believe he was even able to speak. He shouldn't have been able to speak. His name was Seth. And suddenly, Seth looks into the corner of the room, and he begins to smile. And he describes the very passage I'm going to read to you. As far as the family knew, he had never read the book of Revelation. As far as the family knew, they had never shared with him, or Sunday school never shared with him the book of Revelation. God was revealing himself. After he described it, his eyes closed. He would not speak again on this side of glory. So if you want to, close your eyes and just picture the return of Jesus. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are blazing fire, or like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, quote, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is how he is going to return. He's going to return in power, in authority. He's going to return as a mighty warrior. And he will be victorious over evil. He will be victorious over all things. Friends, 
That is why we are a people, even in the midst of suffering and persecution, who live with hope. Our hope is in the promise that God has made. And God has never broken any promise that he has ever made. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And that is our assurance and that is our confidence, which is why when we celebrate communion together, we always not only talk about what Jesus did on the cross, but we talk about what Jesus is doing and we talk about the reality that Jesus is coming back again. And that is our encouragement. I want to bring you the third, uh, third point that I want you to see from Revelation 5 to 22, and that is there will be ultimate justice. There will be ultimate justice. I've got to tell you, friends, this is something that I've needed to know in my life. Do you ever grow discouraged and look around the world and you wonder, how is it that it seems like those who are evil seem to prosper and those who are righteous seem to suffer? You ever asked that question? You're not alone. That question is asked throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the book of Psalms. David asked that question. Here's the answer to the question. It's because in this world we will not find justice. But ultimately, there is justice. Friends, this is why I'm able to forgive people. Because I don't need justice. I don't need to be bitter to find justice because I know that God will hold all people accountable. When he returns, there is accountability for every person who has ever lived. Adolf Hitler didn't get away with things. He will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he will be held accountable. Putin, he may win a war. He may conquer Ukraine. We don't know, but he may. And if he does, he did not win. He will stand before God one day and be held accountable for the things that he has done. Friends, this is the truth. This is the reality. And this is why even in the midst of injustice, when we are the victims of injustice, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We, do, we persevere. We move forward because we understand that one day all will be held accountable before God. I want you to see in chapter 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, we read, for those who know Jesus, for those who believe in Jesus, here's what our reality will be. Jesus said, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I'm bringing a reward for you. My reward I'm bringing with me for you. Listen to what he says. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Let me explain verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. My robe has been washed. It's clean by the blood of Jesus. My robe has been washed by the blood of Jesus. It's Jesus who has made me clean. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that covers me. 
And he goes on and he says this. He says that I might have the right to the tree of life. What's the tree of life? It's heaven. It's salvation. It's living with him forever and ever. I have the right to the tree of life because Jesus has washed me clean. And I may go through the gates into the city. What is the city? It's the great city of heaven. Now, God doesn't tell us, give us a lot of information about it. We don't know. Anybody tells you they know, they don't know. We got little images, but they're given to us so that we might at least get a little picture of it. But I think when we come to the end of our life, our complaint with, and, we, and we go to be with Jesus, our complaint isn't that we didn't live long enough in this world. Our complaint is going to be, why didn't you take me sooner? Why didn't you take me sooner? But for those who reject Jesus, it's a very different story. We read in verse 15, outside. Outside what? Outside what? Outside the great city. On the other side of the walls are those whose robes have not been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This is just one picture of many in Revelation, of those who will not be in the great city of God. Friends, as hard as our world is, imagine living, living in the reality where the love of God has been withheld. Imagine an eternity separated from God's presence. This is why I am passionate, and we are passionate as a church to share our faith, to tell others about Jesus. The reason I can forgive people who have hurt me, and I've been hurt many times in my life, so have you. The reason that bitterness and resentment don't have a place in my heart is because I know Jesus has already paid the price. If it's a brother or sister in Christ that has hurt me, I know that Jesus died for that sin. If somebody who doesn't know Jesus, I know that what they will face in eternity is far worse than anything that they could face in this world. And I don't even want my worst enemy to experience that. And finally, finally, as we wait the return of Jesus, we have hope. As we keep our eyes on God's forever promises. I want to close with these few verses that come out of Revelation 21. These are words that I read almost at every graveside service I do. What's a graveside service? It's when the family gathers, friends gather around the graveside of a loved one. And I want them to have this picture. I want them to have this image. Tell me that this doesn't bring hope. If you believe, know these words, because the pain and suffering of this life is not forever. The pain and suffering of this world will not be our reality forever. 
and we read these words. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell, he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen? Wow. And then he says this, He who was seated on the throne, our Lord himself, said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy, and these words are true. No more death, no more sickness, no more addiction, no more broken relationships, no more pain, no more fear, for the old is gone and the new has come, for God is making all things new. Friends, my hope is not in myself. My hope is not in trying to just make this world better, although I seek to do that because I believe that God has called us to be light and salt on this earth. I believe that God has called us to make an impact in this world for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of Jesus. But my hope is in the promises that God has made. He's coming back again. And his victory is your victory through faith in Jesus Christ. And that, friends, is why we have hope. Jesus pulled the curtain separating us from heaven so that John could see it. And that through the vision of John, you could see it and I could see it. No more fear. What can they do to me? I already know. I've already read the last chapter. What is that reward? Well, there's, I'll close with this. There's a wonderful reward awaiting us who believe. And it's the rewards that God has given to us that await us. And all I have to do is find my note. Here it is. A little nervous there. We don't all know what all these rewards are, but the New Testament talks about five crowns. The, the victor's crown. It's for those who stand against temptation and remain faithful to God. The victor's crown. I love that. There's the crown of rejoicing. It's about sharing our faith with others. It's a crown that awaits us as we share our faith. We share Jesus. It's the crown of rejoicing. The crown of righteousness for those who live each day in light of the reality that we belong to God, not to this world. It's the crown of life is the fourth crown. Those who are faithful in the face of persecution and suffering. And the crown of glory for faithful shepherds of God's flock who choose to lead others. Friends, this is great news. This is how the Bible ends. Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for your word that teaches and empowers and strengthens. Thank you, Lord, for hope. 
And, Lord, we know that hope, biblical hope, is not wishful thinking. But biblical hope is confidence in tomorrow based upon the promises that God has made to us about tomorrow. And we are a people of hope. But, Lord, we confess that times in life we get knocked around and we struggle with hope. In those times, Lord, may you, may you, by your word, by your Holy Spirit, and through God's people, may you encourage us and remind us that indeed we have reason to hope. In Jesus' name, amen.